Dr. Jose Saldivar with another episode of the Way to College podcast. And, uh, you know, one of the uh, wonderful uh, uh, opportunities that the podcast has given me is the opportunity to connect with with a number of people. But um, one of the special things, I think, is the opportunity to connect with people that I work with. And, you know, we if you think about it, right, we spend our day working with people alongside people. Um, and if we're fortunate enough, we we learn a little about them. And uh, the podcast has kind of given me an excuse to learn a lot more about, you know, the people that I work with. And so um, my guest today is someone that I that I met working at the university, um, wonderful colleague and, and just wonderful scholar. And, and, but I'm going to let her introduce herself to the audience out there. So Alyssa, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it very much. My name is Alisa Cavazos, and I teach in the Department of Writing and Language Studies. And currently, I also serve um, as the director for the Center for Teaching Excellence um, at the University of Texas, Rio Grande Valley. Alisa, thank you so much for, for joining me today. You know, Alisa, I ask all of my guests if... Um, if you had to identify the starting point for your own educational journey, what would that starting point be for you? Yes. Um, well, I think for me, it would it would start in in el barranquito, in in el ranchito donde donde nací, donde bueno no no nací en el, en el barranquito, nací en Guadalupe, Nuevo León. Um, pero pues en el barranquito ahí me crié that's where i was raised um and it's it just brings so much so many fond memories of my abuelitos and my family and um you know just you know a very very nostalgic um space uh we 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 lived there and, and my dad um would uh immigrate or migrate from mexico to california uh regularly every six months or so he he worked um picking oranges and, and walnuts and peaches um and so his his ultimate goal was for us to be together in in california one day and um and and they they wanted us wanted me to to have a better uh, opportunities for an education and and um be able to to uh, pursue those opportunities in in the US and learn english and you know learn the language and 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 do well and i i would say it it starts there Elisa, thank you. Thank you for that. You know, um, your your father had the, like so many, I think, right, of our of parents uh, that are immigrants that want to bring their kids. And and it's a it's a common theme, right, that, that they want better for their kids. How old were you when your father said, we're going to I'm going to take you to the United States? Yes. Well, I, I think it happened, you know, before I was born, um, before I, I came into the world, because um, the story is that that my dad uh, submitted the paperwork, you know, almost immediately after I was born, um, because, you know, he, he wanted, you know, to ensure that our family stayed together and was together. Um, and and so that, that happened very early on. By the time, you know, everything was ready for us to join him, I was um I was eight. I was eight years old. Um and we we moved to um to San Martin, uh, California. 
um, and and it's 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 south south of San Jose, California, um, and uh, I that that trip. My mom tells me the story. Um, on our way, we were traveling with uh, friends. Um, that were going to to a a, a city uh, nearby, and and they were taking us with them. Um, she she says that I would always um, every every so often I would say, "Y cuando nos regresamos al barranquito? Y cuando nos regresamos al barranquito?" And you know, thinking back to it, it's it is very nostalgic, and and it's it's um, sad to think about it, knowing that. You know, in, in my eight-year-old mind, you know, I didn't know that we wouldn't return um, and that we would be ready to be in a new place. That, um, you know, when we're kids, right, our parents ask us to do things and take us places and and we trust Right, and put tremendous faith in our parents that they they know, right? And if and if and if we have doubt, our parents say, because I said so, right? <laughs> or because it's yes. what we have to do. Um, but to be to be eight and to leave behind this world that you knew, right? And and do me a favor and and describe El Barranquito for us. But, you know, tell me about tell us about your family there. Was it your extended family? You know, what, what was that space like? Yes. Well, it's it's beautiful. It's um, my abuelito um, built a, a swing under an orange tree for me. And that's where I would play. I would see my my grandmother um, wash her, her clothes by hand, which is what she taught me. She even bought me a lavabo uh, so I could continue washing my my clothes by hand and take care of them. Um, and and so I it was very special. I would help her feed the chickens, molia el, 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 el maíz en el molino. Um to to get to get it powdery to to feed the chickens, um, I, I would just help water the plants. I would, you know, climb trees. I would, you know, just you know, eat mangoes with them in the kitchen. Um, my abuelito would take me to you know the the little convenience store that was just down the down down the road um, to buy gancitos y jugos de jumex de mango. Um, and it, it was just beautiful. And their, their, their kitchen was, you know, small and cozy. And, and it was just very special to just, you know, walk down, down and, and down the road and be with my grandparents, con mis abuelitos. So it, it's very special. When when we moved, um, very soon after we moved, I wrote a letter to my to my grandma and to my abuelita, and who who she she saved this letter for many years, um, and I said in the letter que los extrañaba, I miss them, and when am I going to see them again? And and that I already have some toys from McDonald's that I'm going to share with my cousins. Um, and so, you know, that that voice of an eight-year-old, I think, you know, just not knowing that, um, you know, we were very far away and and that we wouldn't, you know, return um, anytime soon permanently, um, that that always hurt me. I think when we, when we did return, um, and we we moved back to McAllen when I was 16. 
I that was the letter, one of the first letters that my grandmother pulled out from her ropero. And and she said, look, I saved this for for so many years and and it still has the address and I still have that letter. She gave it to me. And 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 that was special because when we moved, you know, and my grand my uncle would go to Mexico every weekend. And so I would me le pegaba. I'm going with you. I'm, I'm going with you. I'm going to be over there with my grandparents. I'm going to see them. My both sides of my grandparents, my my dad's side and my mother's side. Um, y me iba con ellos. Um, in the summers, once we moved to McAllen, that's where I lived. I lived in El Barranquito over those three months in the summer when I was in, in high school. And it, it was very special to have that back for for so many years of not being close to to them. You know, as you describe in Oranquito, it's just such a beautiful place. And, and I just I could see the swing and I can see you walking down to the to the little store. Now, tell me about the new space for you when you moved to, to California. What was that space like? Well, it, I, it was very lonely because it was only my parents and myself. Um we we lived in two different homes. Um, they were both um, trailers. Um, one of them, we we did have some family nearby, and and I played with the with the kids a little bit. They were boys, um, but um, but uh, we didn't live there for too long. We then moved to San Martin, another little town, and and that space was very lonely. It was um it was just us. Um the trailer where we lived um belonged to my dad's boss who owned a, a trucking company that uh, and and land he also loaned like owned uh land and orchards of like walnut orchards. Um and uh, and the space where where we were was in the middle of these uh, mounds of soil and rock that he would sell um, to people, and and it was just we were just surrounded by these trucks, just you know taking soil and rock to different places, and it, it was like in the middle of that space, and um, and there there was our trailer, and and we didn't have uh, hot water, we didn't have heater either. Um, I remember my dad would buy, he had this, uh, you know, the gas tank to heat the home. Um, um, so, so it was, it was a very different space from what I was used to. You know, I don't know if, if you've found this when you work with students, right? Um, the, there, there's the home space, there's the school space, right? When we're, when we're young, those are really the two spaces that kind of dominate our time, right? You could spend up to eight hours, nine hours in the school and the rest of your time at home. And so I imagine like for your, for your home, if, if the space is lonely and it's just you and your, your parents, what was the school space like for you? Did, mm -hmm. and, and, and right the school space was also a new space because this is a new school and this is a new country what was that space like for you yes um i do have to share that there was ve one very special thing about my home space and that served as that transition to my school and oh, okay. that was a dog that my dad's boss had her name was angel and she walked me to the school bus stop every day and she waited for me every day oh. by the school bus stop. 
to walk me back to the house. I think she sensed that I was maybe lonely. Maybe she also sensed that I was fearful because there were other <laughs> dogs there in the area that were a little bit, you know, on the on the mean side, um, on the aggressive side. So I felt that maybe she might have sensed that. Um, and and I looked forward to that because um, I knew that she would be there waiting for me. And and maybe it was the ham and cheese that I would feed her <laughs> after <laughs> after I got to the house. Maybe it was that. But maybe she did care about me, too. Um, so so that was very special. I, I look forward to that. I know that on that on the rights to 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 school, um, you know, there was a house, two story house that was like behind the trailer. <laughs> and so the kids, um, you know, they would say, you know, is that where you live? I'm like, oh, yes, that's my house. The two story <laughs> house. <laughs> they, you know, nobody never actually knew. Right. So except for my close friends. Yeah. Um, and and um, and, you know, it's just, you know, it's nothing to be embarrassed about. I wouldn't ever want my daughter to feel embarrassed of that. I think my dad, my parents did everything that they could for me to do well and and be successful and so forth. Um, the school space. um I feel like there were moments where it was also very lonely. It, it was very scary to be in a in a new space, learning the language, feeling, you know, you know, kids make fun. You know, in fifth grade, I remember the kids made fun of me for not knowing how to pronounce words like foolish and um and whatever, right? Those are two words that have stayed with me. Uh, now I can, now I can pronounce them. Um, but but you know, they, they made fun and um, I I did have one teacher, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Weiss. She was both my fifth and sixth grade teacher. Who, you know, she was the, probably the only teacher who ever in my education, whoever valued my knowledge of English and Spanish. Um, she even wrote in my year, yearbooks, you know, she said, you know, you're an asset to our class. She would tell me often, you know, continue speaking Spanish at home. It's an asset for you to know Spanish, to know both languages. Um, I still have in my office an award that she gave me. It was one of those daily things, right? Our weekly things, you know, but it, I loved it because it said, Alisa, wonderful improvement in reading and speaking English. And it was it's just it's something that I treasure so much because, you know, it came from her, from from someone who who didn't dismiss my language um, and, and someone who cared uh, that I knew also Spanish and that it was a, an asset. Um, so I saved it. I, I still have it. I've saved, you know, these these uh, literacy, you know, um, you know, my grandmother's day letter, um, my that that award, you know, I have these these memories that that I cherish. I'm, I'm so glad you can speak to that experience and that you had that teacher that really encouraged you and encouraged, um, you know, uh, your both languages. Right. Um, because I think a lot of times, at least with a lot of my interviews, if I students, if the guests have um, immigrated to the States, uh, you, I think too often they, they talk about maybe the difficulties and the, or the teachers that weren't supportive and, um, and didn't encourage that, that literacy. So thank you for sharing that. And Lisa, when, when you're, when you're young and you're little, right, uh, schools often have career days and 
What were you thinking about? What did you want to be when you grew up? Well, um, what was I thinking? Um, for sure, I was not thinking about being a writing teacher or an English teacher. I never thought that I could be a writing teacher, an English teacher. That was certainly not not in my mind, you know. And and to speak to the teachers who weren't, you know, supportive, um, I did have one, you know, and I won't mention their name, um, but but I was failing eighth grade English class, right? And and you know she had a a conference with my my mom and, and you know i don't know if i was translating or maybe there was a translator there i don't know exactly but i do remember her words and she said my mom asked you know why is she failing english english is the only class that she's not passing and and she's doing well in the other classes you know what is happening and and the teacher's response was you know what can you expect she learned english as a second language um that that for me is also another memory that stands out to me um of of a moment where you know you know you're dismissed because of your language background a moment where you know with, with something like that how could i have ever imagined that i could be an english teacher um Never. Right. And and so my mom, you know, she she questioned the teacher. She didn't stay silent. I remember. And she said, how can you expect someone to perform at, at the same level as as a child who's been here all their lives? Right. She just immigrated here two years ago. Um, and and so I feel like I've, I've had those moments, you know, those teachers um, that weren't very encouraged or doubted my abilities as well. And and it's trying to find, you know, how do I push against that? Um, knowing that I, knowing that, you know, one, I know that I need to learn English. I know that I need to do, learn the language to do well, but there's also other aspects of me that are, they should be valued and respected and, and, and allowed to flourish, you know, in, in different ways. Um, so, so that, that's a challenging, I don't remember at those moments, what, what I had in mind to, to what I wanted to study. Um, you know, I think I would say things like, you know, I, maybe I want to be a lawyer, um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't recall exactly in the, in that moment, in that space. And that's okay. I, I you know, I, I think if you asked me, I don't know, eight, nine, 10 year old, I probably wanted to be like a football player, something, <laughs> something incredibly impractical, but, um, that was what, what I think I liked. Right. Um, you know, and thank you for that for sharing that other story, right? You know, with those, with that other teacher. And, you know, Elisa, one thing, because I, I, so for our listeners out there, this is actually our second time doing this interview. Um, the, the first time the, we didn't get really good audio, but, but having been through this, I was kind of replaying our conversation in our head, in my head. And, uh, you know, one thing that I, that I did want to ask you is, you have this experience, you have these, a, a teacher that was incredibly supportive and, and then you had the opposite. And here you are, you're, like you said, you didn't plan on being a writing teacher. You didn't, you know, you didn't, this wasn't something that you prepared for necessarily as you're going through middle school, high school, right? But now having that experience, these early childhood experiences, having the knowledge and the background that you have what advice 
What advice would you give to teachers who, you know, are tasked with welcoming these students, mm-hmm. these recent immigrants? And, and you know, as an eight-year-old, you didn't say, mommy, papi, llévame para los Estados Unidos, right? That was that was their decision. And, and they're pulling you from Barranquito and and you know your world is is completely turned upside down right you don't have a lot of choice there very little agency what advice would you give to teachers that my job is to welcome these kids how can i best support them yes no absolutely i i think you know going back to you what you mentioned about el barranquito i feel that the one of the things that we can do is is to understand our students and to understand their background and to understand where they come from and and just like you asked describe that space you know i love that you asked that question because it is it is a very special moment and can we ask that question of our students can we ask them to tap into you know their literacy their multiple literacies their, their multiple languages Mo- most recently you know not too long ago 2019 right um um i'm an adult i'm a professor right attending a conference um and i attend a writing workshop where we're asked to talk about our literacy narrative right by these you know well-known scholars in the field of writing studies and and they asked us to write about our early literacy narrative and i start writing like i always do you know i started writing about the moment i learned english as a second language with mrs weiss in fifth grade that was the moment that 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 sticks out to me um and then in conversation they never said about you know your first language nothing like that was said but they said remember this has to be an early literacy moment and so when they said that i thought well surely that is not my early literacy moment um because I learned, I knew another language. I learned to read and write in another language first before English. And so I reflected and I thought about, you know, and I wrote, I wrote about El Barranquito and the sounds and the smell and the roosters <laughs> and and just being with my mom in our, in our little home and listening to her read her poems out loud to me. Uh, and you know, that I feel was my first literacy moment as a young child, Um, seeing my mom's passion for writing, seeing my mom's passion for reading to me, her poems and sharing and sharing her notebook with me um, as as it was raining outside, el, el olor de la tierra mojada, right? That smell that that we we have, we we sense. So I, that's that's a very very special moment for me. And at in that moment, I realized that the English language and and the instruction that we are, you know, surrounded by in the educational system, can have the power to suppress these memories. This was the first time in 2019 that I ever wrote or reflected or talked about my mom's early literacy. And I felt ashamed um, or my early literacy and my my mom's poems. Right. And I felt ashamed for that. Um, And and I felt, well, that that is the power that the English language has to suppress these memories. And so if as teachers, we have the power to challenge that and to change that narrative and to say very deliberately 
to understand our students' experiences, but to encourage them to tap into those memories, into those early literacy, and into their multiple, um, you know, abilities with different languages and literacy practices that that can be so fundamental to enhancing learning experiences and to really uh, flourish and, and cherish who who we are um, as as individuals. Thank you for sharing that. I love that, and and. Um... You know, don't feel bad reflecting on that or, or talking about that, right? That moment, and um, and you talk about the suppressing. Um, you know, I from from myself, I think the it wasn't. I think until my graduate studies, it was. I think when I was doing the PhD that that I read, I spent a lot of time and in a lot of my writing reflecting, and um, um, uh. And so, in addition to right that it's it suppresses and and uh, and and so we we should encourage that and allow students to tap into that, you know. For me, and just this is kind of an aside, or in addition to that is, um, you know, allowing our students to tap into that, I think helps us to see, it, at least speaking for myself and speaking for some of my students, when I have them do similar writing, they all of a sudden they're no longer they they're no longer sort of the other it's kind of like i'm the scholar now like i i, I was still making sense of the world in and and in a in a maybe very academic way but i didn't have the language to put it into right and so i i think you know even as five six right we're constantly making sense of the world utilizing these tools and whether it's in our, our the english language or in our native you know if our native language is spanish but yeah that there's there's power there and so i i'm glad that you shared that i hope other you know our, i hope there are teachers there listening and that that can utilize that and, and encourage that among their own students because i think yeah if you give students that opportunity to kind of reflect and, and think about those early literacies i think it's a really powerful tool and helps them to kind of shift their their lens of, of, yes. of seeing themselves no longer as a as a as a subject, but maybe as a scholar or mm -hmm. so. Right. So thank you. You um, you alluded or, or at least um, noted that later you moved to the valley. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you moved to South Texas? Uh, I was sixteen. Yes, we had lived in California for eight years, and and I was sixteen when I moved over here. <laughs> That and why why did you move? Why did you all move from California? Well, uh, the company uh, where my mom worked, my mom worked for Specialized, uh, and she she made uh, bicycle helmets, um, and uh, water bottles, I think, and and other things uh, for for that for that company. Well, the company ended up moving to Utah, and and my mom did go to Utah for about two weeks or so, um, to to train the folks over there on on how to make you know these helmets. Um, and they did offer her a job. We we just didn't, you know, they didn't want to move to Utah. Um, at the same time that that company, that my mom's company moved, my my dad's uh, boss, well, he retired. He ended up selling his, the trucking company. He ended up selling much of his land. And so, um, you know, my parents didn't have a job over there anymore. And I think it would have been difficult for them to find something. Um, that that summer, we we were we also came to Mexico to visit my my grandparents. And um, 
my grandpa was in the kitchen with uh, one of his cousins and his cousin um, owns a, um, Descanse, Don Ruben owns a Ruben uh, a grocery store, Ruben's grocery. And he, he told my parents, ¿Por qué no se vienen para acá? Yo les doy trabajo a los dos. Uh, tu esposa y tú, vénganse. And so we did. We we did. Um, you know, he offered both of my parents a job. He also, um, you know, you know had some uh, apartments for rent. And he said, You're, we have one available um, that, 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 um, that is not occupied right now. You're more than welcome to, to rent that. And and we came back and we we that's how we moved. And we literally it just happened like two months later. We were on our way back. I didn't get to start. Um, well, I think it was 10th grade over there. I didn't get to start 10th grade in, in California. What was um, you do eight years of schooling right in California? Mm -hmm. You come to South Texas. Um, was that a transition? Was the schooling different or? Um... You know, what was that like for you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yes, it, it was very different. I, I do remember that. Um, I think, you know, I, I don't know. I Maybe because I had already established some friends in California, I felt like more, you know, probably more connected, more, you know, uh, you know, I felt like the, the, the students like knew the teachers and or their family members knew the teachers and had things to say about the teachers and I just felt you know a little bit more familiar um also I didn't get to experience high school because in California because 10th grade was high school over there it, middle school was seventh through ninth and so I, I felt like maybe that community of group of students was more connected I don't know if when we would have transitioned to the high school it would have been, you know, different probably with more middle schools, more students. Um, so I, I didn't get to experience that since when when I moved over here. Well, I do remember that, um, you know, it took me a while to make friends. Um, and and I would sit at lunch by myself and and one of the administrators or admin assistants who worked there knew Ruben um, and and Don Ruben and and he she called concerned one day saying, you know, Alisa is still sitting by herself at lunch. You might want to tell her mom if everything's okay. And I remember at the time being so upset <laughs> and my mom talking to me about this. I'm like, how do, do they expect me just to make friends from one day to the next? <laughs> I remember just being so upset, but, you know, looking back, I th I'm glad that someone was concerned and someone did call and, you know, someone did have that conversation. Um, that, that was nice. <laughs> yeah. When we're, when we're young, I think when we're teenagers, right. We, uh, I don't know. We, we think we can do everything and we don't need, <laughs> we don't need any help. Right. We're, we're the last to ask for help. Uh, yeah. the, um, so I imagine you made friends. Yes. Well, well, let me tell you, I did make friends, um, you know, maybe toward the, the middle of the school year at Nikki Row because I went to Nikki Row first um, and then and then I moved to um, 
to uh we moved we moved houses and that's why i ended up changing to uh Mackay. um and so um i also did have a friend at nikki row but her lunch hour like uh, my my good time friend from like mexico from el barranquito right she's a year older than me and she was at nikki row um but our our lunch schedules didn't coincide and so i never saw her at school and so if the, our lunch schedules would have coincided probably you know, I would have, you know, we would have been more friends, you know, made more friends and, you know, I would have been in a, a different, different place. Um, we, I then moved to uh, Mackay, McAllen High School. That's where I graduated high school for 11th and 12th grade. Yes. yes. So, you know, I asked earlier about what is it that you wanted to do when you were young, when you were, you know, elementary. Now that you're in high school and, well, a couple of things. One, was college something that you uh, saw that 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 was you know part of your plan for you one two what were you thinking about in terms of uh, potential careers mm-hmm. yes um you know it was a plan i i wanted to i i didn't know how to apply who to ask what what to do I, I ended up applying because of friends, right? They they told me, you know, what I needed to do in the FAFSA and things like that, right? Um, my parents always, you know, their goal was, you know, of course, you know, we want you to go to college, find out. Tú pregunta porque nosotros no sabemos, ¿verdad? Y tú pregúntale a las maestras. Um, unfortunately, I didn't have, you know, a teacher who stands out, who guided me or, or mentored me to understand what, you know, applying for college might be. Other students did, but but not me. I found out through friends. Um, and, and also when I did end up applying to UTPA and got an acceptance letter, I took it to my counselor and she was even surprised that I applied, right? And so it was it was a shock to 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 her. Um and so what I wanted to study um, because I was a part of, I can't remember what the class was, but the teacher, I think it was a technology class. The teacher had a program. It was, I think, Future Business Leaders of America. Um, and so because I was in that class, she introduced me to that program. And so because I was a part of that program and one of my areas of interest was international business, my when I went to college, I declared that as my major <laughs> international business, um, not knowing exactly what what it, it entailed or what it was about. But it was because I was in that class and I was, you know, in that group with with those group of students. You, so, you know, this that's got me thinking now, Alisa, your your parents there at this time, they're still working at, at Ruben's grocery store. Yes. Did you work there? I, I, not, not paid. I don't think they ever paid me. (laughs) (laughs) I think I would go help my mom in the office and I would go and and help, um, you know, like, uh, like on Saturdays, I would help pass out the, uh, the, what is it called on some Saturdays? Because other Saturdays I did, I would go to El Barranquito. Um, you know, when they had like I was frescas and they had samples and things for people. Um, I, I, I remember I would help with that. I don't, I don't think I ever, I think I just remember helping my mom in the office. <laughs> you know, I, I, I wonder if, um, 
maybe that's why, did that have any impact or influence in terms of why you chose international business? Because that's what you saw. That was kind of the, your day-to-day with your parents. Um, in addition possibly, to the, the business class. The, yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, possibly. Um, I, I, it might've been, I, I don't know if I made that connection like consciously, I don't think. Um, but um, also that, that it reminds me, you know, I did end up writing in college, you know, about Ruben's grocery. And I have to share this because it has to do with language. Right. And where the teacher, you know, asked us to describe a space. And as a first year writing student, first year college student, uh, first generation. Right. Well, I described the only place I knew because I spent so much time there. And that was Ruben's grocery. Um, and I did use words in Spanish. I used, um, you know. Colorido, aguas frescas, um, uh, cabrito, right, was the other one, right, that I used. And so she asked me to translate. When she she gave us feedback, she asked me to translate those words because, you know, it was an English class and we were writing in English, right? I I didn't question it at all, you know, as a first-year student, 18-year-old, pues, tú haces lo que te digan los profesores, ¿verdad? The professors know (laughs) what what is right and so i didn't question it um but i did struggle and i did end up deleting that word cabrito from the essay because i didn't know how to translate it um in a way that would carry that meaning because like the literal translation would be like baby goat right and and i I thinking to myself that's not what i mean right by by that it's not what it means it's not what you know como mexicana, como eh, eh, del norte del Monterrey, ¿verdad? O sea, no, 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 lleva, no lleva ese significado, ¿verdad? And so I ended up deleting, deleting that word entirely when, when I, when I, you know, did end up translating some of the, of the language um, from, from the essay. Wow. Um, the, um, I love that. You come to UTPA, mm-hmm. you declare international business. Did you stay with international business? Um, I stayed for the first two years, maybe two and a half, you know, until I was a sophomore, maybe starting junior year, I did uh, stay with that with that major. I, I, I took business classes, um, some upper level business classes. When I did end up changing my major, I remember that well, technically I lost, I guess, because it didn't apply to my degree, um, the three classes um, in, in business that I had taken. Um, but I don't know, I don't see it as a loss because it, it was just, you know, part of, I mean, to me, it was just part of my education. And it, it just meant that maybe I didn't graduate in four years, maybe I graduated in four years and a half, uh, which is what ended up happening. But, you know, I would I, that was that was okay with me. Um, it it didn't it didn't um have that um impact but i did end up changing my major to well for a couple of reasons um i did work as a work study i won't say the department but in a in a department in the in the college of business 
Um, I was a work study. I I was a work study in the registrar's office, so I would help with graduation. And then I moved to that department because that was, you know, my major, and and it was nice to be in a department. Also, the 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 woman that I worked with in the registrar's office ended up moving to the College of of Business, and so she asked me if I would join her over there, and so she kind of took me away. Um, and and also I was a business major, and um, at one point. I was also taking some creative writing classes, but I think it was a professor. It was a business professor. And, um, you know, they said something, you know, strange, like, you know, when I was thinking about changing my major to English, right? Um, And I changed my major to English because I was taking a political science class. I met a friend there who introduced me to um in the English major and it it had um English as a second language endorsement and in my mind thinking well I learned English as a second language I can help other students um you know it, you know feel connected you know in ways that I didn't uh, to to the language and in 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 ways that would be meaningful um for them and so I, that's one of the reasons why I changed the major. But as I was, you know, struggling back and forth, I did share that with the people that I worked with in that college of, of business. And, and, uh, you know, the one, the one professor, you know, said something very, very mean um, that I, you know, at the time as a college student, you, you know, it was, it was probably out of line, um, you know, said something like, well, no, you should stay in business. You won't ever make any money in 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 English. Um, you should stay in business, um, and uh, you won't have any impact over there. Over here is where we we have you know impact the world, and I don't know the in something something right. And so it was very hurtful to me. <laughs> But eventually I ended up writing a poem <laughs> for the gallery um, and about this professor that was, you know, very rude and sarcastic <laughs> and in my mind. Right. And at that point, uh, because I saw it, I didn't see it as, as encouraging. You know, yes, you want to keep your majors, you know, like now as a professor, I see, well, he probably wanted to keep his majors. Right. He didn't want to lose a major to another college or another department. And um, but, you know, at the same time, I would never imagine telling my student, you know, that, you know, I would never imagine, you know, derailing their goals. If your goal is to pursue something else that will make you happy, I'm here to support you. I'm here to um, mentor you and continue to be a mentor in however way I can or, or, or however way, you know, I can, I can be of help. Um, But I I would never imagine, you know, saying something, you know, so dismissive, um, and, and really not understanding my reason either, because to me, it was a very personal reason. Um, you know, when I found out about the ESL endorsement, you know, it, it wasn't just a major change. It was, you know, because I felt connected to it. I felt identified. I felt that I could make a difference in ways that I didn't see myself professionally in, in a business degree in, in that sense. And so I felt like, I felt they they didn't try to that professor didn't try to understand that that side of me that reason. You know, thank you for um, for sharing that because I think 
you know, um, and you know, this is probably as well as anyone, our students, students come to the university and will probably change their major their first year. And, and, um, and you, I think your experience with that professor really speaks to some of the influences that they get right about, well, is, are you going to make money doing that? Um, um, the impact in the world, that's that's a first for me that I've ever heard of, but but definitely the money, right? Well, they don't, you don't, you're not going to make any money, but I love how, you know, you shared your, your decision was a very personal, right? And it's that personal connection. And I think for a lot of young people, it is, it's, it's finding that connection. What is it, which is, what is the major rate that, that speaks to me and that I really connect to and, um, that allows me to contribute and write in ways to society. I know in a class that we, uh, living and working by design class, we often ask students, right? Um, what do I love? What does the world need? Right. Um, the, and the impact that we can have. And so it sounds like for you, like you went through your own form set of questions to kind of come to that realization that this is where I need to be. So thank you for sharing that. You're, um, you change your major. You go into to, to English, and uh, you know what was next for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, well, I I I I took. I remember I took several classes with one 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 professor on lingu- in linguistics. Um, so in my mind, I I always uh, wanted to be an ESL teacher. Um, I did also, you know, get my certification to be an, an A through 12. I think at the time it was A through 12 um, English teacher. Um, I, I went through the College of Education here to to do that. Um, and I, I always wanted to um, to be an ESL teacher. I learned about the master's program um, in 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 our department. Um, and I, I ended up applying for for the MA program. Uh, several different things there stand out to me. Also, um, you know, how, you know, not because I changed my major means that there weren't, you know, these dismissive attitudes from fa- faculty and professors that, that continued to be the case, I feel. And and for different reasons, you know, I, I feel that, you know, in one instance, I was, um, I was, I was a TA for what a professor and, and she had two TAs and, and, um, another professor walked by and, and she said, Oh, you know, I want you to meet my TAs. You know, they're both here. Oh, you know, so-and-so is your TA. Well, she's amazing. Um, and then the professor looked at me and she said, um, she's going to make you look bad. And (laughs) I know, I know. And, and I, I'm thinking, well, you know, there's no need to say that. There's no need to say that to a new graduate student. Um, you know, w- what do we win by comparing students in this way? Um, and especially TAs that are going to be working together in this particular class. Um, and, and aside from that, she didn't know me. She didn't know what I brought to the table. She didn't know what I brought to this class or the conversation or anything. But I feel like it's moments like that that made me question, well, maybe I don't belong here. Well, I learned English as a second language. How can I be a TA for an English class? And so it's it's these these moments that, you know, just kind of continue to build up and and others, you know, um, you know, after, you know, I, I did pursue my MA here um, at UTPA at the time um, and I, I did a master's thesis. I conducted a study 
in in a in a first year classroom um and and after you know i i was interested in how the classroom context impacted how the teacher provided feedback and how students received that feedback in my mind i never asked you know the role of language in that um a lot of the interviews that i conducted were in spanish and and there was a lot of spanish that came into the interviews with the students but i never talked about that as a as a thing right it wasn't until i was at tcu where i pursued my PhD in in rhetoric and composition, that I realized that it was a missed opportunity for my master's thesis to not ask about the role of language in how you receive the feedback, how you process that feedback, and how that impacted your revisions toward it. Um, it could have been a very interesting, it could have taken the classroom context uh, question in a very different direction, um, but I didn't. I didn't at the time. Um, and I think it wasn't until I was at TCU where I, I saw this, this, you know, culture shock, I guess, where I experienced this culture shock that um, I started asking questions about about our language background and and why I, I felt like I didn't belong um, in, in rec comp, right? And, and I wanted to find out how do people in, in the field who, um, you know, identify in similar ways like me, like bi bilingual, um, you know, um, Hispanics, uh, Latinas, Mexican-American um, folks, how do they, how did they succeed? How do they make it? And so that led to my dissertation, right, where I started asking more of these, more about more of these questions about the, the role of language. And, and I feel like that was another instance for me where you know the educational system not not deliberate not that anybody did it deliberately but deliberatively but i feel that we we are asked to assimilate and and process things in in a in a dominant language which is english and and not to ask these these other questions that that shape people's identities that in my, in my in me you know it shaped these identities for myself as well um but but that's why I, you know I feel like it 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 came from that you know asking that and it also came from from other components you know other you know people who I thought were my mentors but maybe were not my mentors and and who um, perhaps um, did certain things to dismiss um, and discredit my 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 work and my identity and and why I do what I do um and so I felt that it was also my way of of challenging that in in a certain way of of saying you know of finding out you know through my dissertation research how do people succeed in higher education in a field that traditionally is English only um and then what can I do to 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 contribute and to to you know shape those conversations and shift those conversations not just in the scholarship but with my students right what are we doing in the classroom and how am I working with and mentoring my students um in 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 these ways so one thank you but now you've given me a lot to unpack <laughs> so the first thing that I want to ask is is you you talked about sort of the space in the university and and you talked you know about the TA right that experience and questioning whether you as a as a English language learner um, could do that work right and and I think you you know a lot of us if, if, for a lot of minorities right um, we talk about imposter syndrome and how one. How did you overcome that? Mm -hmm. 
how did you convince yourself or, or, or because I think we're very quick to rationalize and convince ourselves that we don't belong in these spaces, mm-hmm. yet you persisted. Mm-hmm. So maybe the better question is, Alisa, why did you persist? Yes, I, I think that, well, a couple of things, right? Um, you know, there were a couple of people who, who told me, you know, perhaps you should go back home. Maybe a PhD is not for you. Um, and those were the words from two different people. Go back home or come back home or go back home. Um, and, and perhaps a PhD is not for you. Um, and so when I shared that with my parents, first of all, um, it, I mean, I was already 24 when I left TCU um, and I wasn't a young person, you know, um, but it was very challenging for my parents to let me go, um, you know, eight, eight hours away. Right. Um, and so it, it did take some convincing. My mom said, ¿Quién soy yo para cortarte las alas? No, no te las voy a cortar. Si tú te quieres ir, ve y estudia. Entonces, when I told, I tell these things to my parents, right? Um, pues no, mi papá me dice, no, ahora ya estás allá, ahora te quedas. Y les tienes que enseñar, you need to show them that, that you will graduate and that you will persist and you will do this. So I think my parents played a, a big role. Um, my now husband, then boyfriend, Javier, I wouldn't have pursued a PhD if it wasn't for him. He's the one who motivated me. He's the one who also went to my house and talked with my parents about, you know, how it was a good thing and how we would be able to come back and work at the university, right? He's like, we will come back and we, we will, you know, we'll, you're going to have her very close, you know? And so, you know, I, I feel like it was because of him that that I, I ended up, you know, pursuing a PhD in the first place and, and persisting. And most importantly, I think for me um, was, you know, thinking about my students and thinking about my future students. Um, I don't I want them to. I always wanted them to see me as a role model. Right. I, I, I want that. I don't you know, these people that said these weird comments and make these strange statements and try to to hurt me, you know, I, I didn't want those people to 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 have the the final say. I didn't want to be those people. I don't want to become those people to to my students. Um, and so I, I want them to know that 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 we can resist. Um, we also need to. It's not just about being resilient. You know, it's also about, you know, identifying and knowing when the system is wrong and 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 that you know it's it's not for me it's uh from a book black brown and bruised um where the author talks about this you know she talks about it's not just that we can't continue to call our underrepresented minorities resilient um and they persisted right um without acknowledging the issues that you know surround discriminatory practices within our system and without acknowledging our own implicit biases that that continue to perpetuate these these views and and more than that all it's also i feel it has to do with confirmation bias you know i've been a part of professional development experiences with multiple faculty and many of the conversations have you know revolved back to this you know oh it's like these misconceptions that get interpreted as you know it's just you know i'm reading it as a confirmation bias just supports what i already knew when we're not really asking the questions that 
that the system works extremely well for certain students, and I'm glad it does. Um, but we also need to recognize where the system fails our students um, and our students who identify differently. And, and how do we, you know, change to ensure that all of these students have the opportunities to be successful and not just say you're resilient um, because, you know, that, you know, it, it's a lot of pressure to add to an individual. Beautifully said. Yeah, I think you did a lot of the unpacking for me. Thank you. The the second question that I wanted to ask from your from this, but I think you you spoke to this because I think for a lot of us, for for minorities, right, and students of color, the the university can be this space of uncomfortableness, right? This space that where we wonder, do I belong here? We wonder, what am I doing here? Why, um, why should I continue? Um, and I think you you spoke to, and, and feel free to confirm or, 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 or add to, for you, you felt like, one, you had systems, right? Family, your boyfriend, that encouraged you, supported you, but then also you said you needed to do this for your students. You needed to do this for future work. Um, would you would you say that's true? Yes, absolutely. Um, I've always, you know, had students in mind. I, I always had my students, my future students, whoever they would be in mind. Um, and even current students at the time, you know, I would say, well, I can't I can't give up. I can't just, you know, just leave. And I'm, I don't want to. I also don't want to say that giving up is is necessarily a bad thing because sometimes we do need to say no and step down um and we need to know our limits and and that is very important i am glad that i was able to stay and 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 get a phd and and be able to to come back um but i have also been in situations where i am not going to stand by uh discriminatory practices i will not stand by passive aggressive um behaviors i will not stand by sarcasm and and superiority you know complex um and and i will say no and i will step down when when i need to especially when i see that 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 affects my my well-being and my my health and and my my values most importantly i feel because uh, we have limits we all have limits and and we draw the line somewhere and that's also important for us to realize um and and it's not it's not a bad thing for us to give up so i don't want to give the impression that that you know persisting is like the only way to succeed and the only way to out and it's not um you make that decision for yourself. You do not let other people, perhaps you need to go back home to make that decision for you. You cannot. You make that decision for yourself because it impacts your well-being. It impacts your values. It aligns with your values. It aligns with your ultimate goals and passions. It allows you to find yourself, but not because someone else said it. We can, ne we can never let anyone um, dim our 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 energy, our passion, our light, um, because then we we would just you know feel feel continue to feel bad about ourselves and and that that's also not not uh, very productive. We we want to do it for ourselves and 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 for our ultimate passions and, and goals. Uh, Alisa, thank you. Um, a couple of things. One is um, 
your your comments right now reminded me of uh, of a podcast I was listening to, and and the the guest was talking about knowing when to quit. That uh, in in the narratives around success, we talk about and give um, we privilege persistence and we privilege guilt, uh, not guilt, grit, right? But that and a lot of times we overlook knowing that moment when we say I shouldn't continue or I need to take a different path. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we don't ever acknowledge that sometimes we do need to quit something. Um, So I appreciate you saying that and referencing that. Um, You know, the, um, the other thing, do you share this? Do you share your story with your students? Parts of my story, yes, I've shared. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of these stories that I've shared um, with with language, I, I often share those in, in different ways, um, you know, as snippets, like intros to assignments or as feedback, you know, moments of feedback when when it fits. Um, you know, other, other stories that are probably more recent, I haven't yet. Um, some of my students do know um, more recent things, but but um, but uh, I feel like it it it, it is me, my dad, <laughs> you know, just recently, and and I wrote something about this, you know, of, of recent things that happened, um, and and how you know certain things made me feel this past academic year, and my dad said, "Háblalo, háblalo, que se escuche, que la gente sepa." I um I couldn't agree more with your dad because I think I, I don't know I think for me you know what for as a as an instructor and and um, one thing that I that I try to do all the time is um, is to share a lot of my own struggles with school and and because I think uh, because I I think for a lot of our students there there is this. Um, they see their professors kind of right on this pedestal and just that they don't connect. Right. And, um, and so for me, I, I know I, I do a lot of that and and trying to share a lot of those stories, especially my missteps yes. um, and those, the, the, the challenging moments to help them see hey, even, even your professors struggled at times. We, we didn't know what to ask or, or felt like we didn't belong. Um, you know, I, I share that story often. Um, and so I'm glad that you do share and, and, and like your father, yeah, I think it's important that they know that the world knows, right? So thank you. Alisa, as we, um, um, as we transition out, uh, because I want to be mindful of your time, you've been so gracious with your time this morning. Uh, any, any final words of advice? And, and this could be for anybody. It could be for students. It could be for teachers. It could be for professors. Any any last pieces of advice for us? Yes. Um, well, I would say that um, seeking um, help, asking, um, knowing when you you need that support. I think it's incredibly important. It's it's very challenging to to do things alone or to carry a burden um, alone. And we don't have to. And whenever it does feel like a burden or something feels very challenging, we need to seek help and we need to reach out um, and and ask your professors. That's why they're. My mom always tell me, "Ve a preguntarles." Por eso están ahí. Yes, that's why we are here. Uh, reach out uh, to your professors. Um, Para eso estamos. And, and, and I would say, you know, see 
the wealth of knowledge that your students bring to your classroom. See their passions and see their their potential. Um, and don't be the one who dims their light and makes them question who they are. Be the supporter, be the inspiration, be the mentor and guide them. And, and to the students, I would say, do not let anyone dim your light. Uh, find those those individuals who support and who believe in you. I couldn't agree more. Alisa, thank you for your time today. Thank you for your story. I know it's gonna resonate with a lot of our listeners out there. So thank you so it. much. Yeah. This can, can, uh, concludes another episode of the Way to College podcast. Thank you uh, to our guests. Thank you to our listeners out there. Don't forget to share, rate, subscribe, and all that good stuff. And we'll see you next time. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.